the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Rob Black, weekday mornings from 10 to noon on Talk 910 KNEW. You, your money, your life, your dreams. The answers are here. This is Rob Black. Happy Monday to you, August 17th. Talking all things financial, this is the Rob Black Show. I'm Rob Black. Thanks so much for listening. Um, I do mean that. So I, you hear a lot of hosts say that, but I truly do mean that. Uh, I'm trying to educate you on finances. I'm trying to get you to retirement a little bit sooner than maybe you'd be able to do on your own. I'm trying. I got some noble ideas on this show. Long story short, I know it's not fun sometimes to listen about money. I know it's not fun to listen about uh, retirement issues and financial planning issues. Uh, th- there's not a lot of politics in this show. I I would say I'm as unpolitical as they come, other than to say that politics d- does directly affect your retirement. It does affect directly affect Wall Street. First hour of the show, I'm a little on the hardcore data. Second hour of the show, I loosen up a little bit. For instance, in the second hour of the show, I'll talk about some of the, the way things have changed. The way we perceive the stock market, the way we perceive inflation, the way we perceive retirement. I'll talk about how maybe three years ago we would say this about real estate, whereas now we'll say that about real estate. Also talk about some of the financial mistakes that athletes ultimately make. It's a call-in show. It's 800-345-5639. It's 800-345-5639. There's also a blog that we do during the show, and I don't think it's up yet. We usually get it up and going by the 20 after spot, but that can be found at 910kennyw.com, 910kennyw.com. Let's talk about Wall Street. Started to give back last week, and today we're giving back a little bit more. So... Dow's down 170, the Nasdaq's down 52, the S&P 500 down 22. All the indices are down over 2%. That's a pretty shocking thing for people. It used to be that Wall Street wouldn't move, you know, but 10% in the whole year. I mean, it was very, very slow. Now it's damn inefficient and it bounces around. Let's talk about what we're seeing in the stock market today. If I were to write my monologues and title them set to slide remember when you'd climb up the ladder on the playground top the slide and you were at that young beautiful age where it still looked like a pretty long slide down now you're like why was i ever spooked by that well the market climbed up a ladder in march april may june july parts of august with nary a correction with nary a pullback And now we're looking up there, and it's pretty darn high up there. And our economy went down, 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 down. And then we started seeing some signs of life that it's not going to go down much further. And it may go sideways. So we climbed a slide. We climbed up in the stock market when our economy was climbing down. And now we have to kind of maybe meet somewhere in the middle. Somewhere along those lines is the right idea. It's going to be a rocky start today for the whole week on the stock market. Ultimately, the selling bias that we're seeing right now started in Asia this morning. And it's not because 
the Korean won the PGA tournament yesterday. It's not because Tiger Woods lost. Don't don't go that kind of crazy. Selling bias got its start in Asia this morning. Um, Japan's Nikkei down three percent. Now our markets are down two percent. Hong Kong's Hang Seng index down three point six percent. China's Shanghai index down almost six percent. Now a weaker than expected GDP report from Japan. It reports that Americans aren't consuming. Japan makes things that we consume. That aggressive selling speaks for a sense that those markets were overextended from their recovery exit as well, or the recovery trade or the reflation trade. So the Morgan Stanley Countries Index, it's a world market index, it's trading at 24 times 12 months earnings, and it's telling you that's a pretty high multiple. And it hasn't been that high since early 2004 when the world economies were in a much better shape. So the market got overextended and it needed a pullback. And the United States were weighed down by a little bit of guidance from Lowe's this morning, weaker than expected. They missed expectations by about three pennies. But their guidance going forward, not so good. And the disappointment from Lowe's sends that stock down about 9%, but it also sends down Home Depot, which is a Dow Jones industrial average component. So they're going to release their numbers tomorrow. On a brighter note, we saw some Empire State Manufactured Index jumping about 12 points. So that dividing line between an expansion and contraction is right at zero, and we're above that now. So manufacturing in the New York area is starting to climb as if their economy was starting to move again. So it's kind of nice. Let me give you a little strategy on what I'm thinking specifically. I think that we can say without any doubt that a correction has started in some way, shape, or form. But it's going to be a difficult correction to say, okay, let's make money and short the heck out of this market because there was a large gap down this morning. Now, we've seen afternoon rallies that would kill if you bought now and thought the market was going to go lower, and then you see a market rally at the end of the day, you lose money. Now, from my eyes, this shakeout is a shakeout. It's not a true reversal. Not all stocks are going to go down here. But it's interesting to see how much more this move is going to evolve. I've been calling for a correction now for a while, so I'm happy to see it. I called correctly that the market would hit 1,000. It happened before I wanted it to, but I called it correctly. Now I'm calling for a pullback to the 925 level on the S&P 500, and then I'll make it a decision after that. But I think we do hit 925 before this whole mess is over. And I do think before this whole mess is over, we hit 1050 on the S&P 500. But again, first things first, let's correct some of those big gains that we've had. What happened? The big gains that we had, we kept climbing up the ladder of the slide. So our bullish sentiment kept getting bigger and bigger. It's like being a five-year-old kid climbing up one more and you feel better and better and you're high. And then climbing up one more step and you get higher and higher. And like, you know, you get that, that thrill and excitement. So we became too bullish in our sentiment. Now, there's one area where I think that we should see a nice pullback. It's the financials. That's the only area that I think you could truly short, per se. The whole move has occurred on very low volume on the upside in the months of the summer months, where there's not a lot of volume. And because there's not a lot of volume, there's not a lot of unadulterated fundamental improvement either. So, where do I go with this? I'm bullish on the dollar. I think the dollar goes higher. Because of that, I think commodities go lower, whether they be gold or oil or aluminum. 
I think the dollar play is going to hurt commodities because the commodities don't have a true fundamental play other than China going on right now. Now, if you look at last week's action on Wall Street, the best performing play was being along the Austrian stock market, EWO. I know you're going to say, Rob, you've never brought that up. Why are you bringing that up now? Why are you bringing up Austria? The Belgian market, EWK, did well, and the Italian market, EWI, did well. What are those? Those are plays on old Europe, the Germanys, the Francis, the Italys. Belgium and Austria, much more established 2,000-year-old economies than, say, you know, Poland. So if you happen to put on the old, small Western Europe market long play last week, you've done well. Now, some high beta stocks like solar stocks, ticker symbol TAN, and regional banks, ticker symbol KRE, they're in the basement right now. So keep that in mind. That's kind of what I'm seeing specifically in strategy. So gold's down 1% plus today. It's all on the, the dollar strengthening. Now, some of this is tied towards Japan's exports getting clobbered. There's no doubt about it. The Japan's exports being clobbered is like someone going, Psst, America's not very strong. They're not buying a lot of Japan electronics. Psst. But there's another reason why the dollar's stronger today. President Barack Obama on Sunday started sending up the, the flags saying, I'm willing to embrace insurance cooperatives over a government-run plan as the White House faces mounting opposition to its broad overhaul of the nation's health care system. Now, this is clearly bowing to Republican pressure, and it's offering political cover to fiscally conservative Democrats. Obama's administration signaled on Sunday that they're ready to abandon the idea of giving Americans the option of government-run insurance. Now, that's going to save billions and billions and billions and billions and billions of dollars to our grandkids as far as raising money now to pay for our health care now and figure out a way to pay for it truly later from earnings or from taxes. Now, the shift leaves open a chance for a compromise with Republicans that probably would enrage Obama's liberal supporters, but could deliver a much-needed victory on top of a domestic priority for his administration. Health and Human Secretary Kathleen Sebelis, she said that a government alternative to private health insurance is not the essential element of the administrative's health plan. Now, notice... He's not man enough to go out there and say it himself. He sends out his press secretary to do it or his health and human services uh, leader because it's a trial balloon. He doesn't want to be painted into a corner. Now, the White House would be open to co-ops, she said, a sign the Democrats want to compromise so they can declare a victory. The quote came out, I think there will be a competitor to private insurers. That's really the essential part. You don't turn over the whole new marketplace to private insurance companies and trust them to do the right thing. What I'm saying is the bottom line for this president is what we have to do is the choice, and the competition is in the insurance market. So ultimately, the worst-case scenario, or maybe the best-case scenario, depending on what side of the fence you're on, what side of the political spectrum you're on, it's not going to be as aggressive as reform as we thought or as that was projected. Now, on Saturday, Obama appeared to hedge his bet saying, all I'm saying is, though, that the public option, whatever we have, or we don't have, it's not the entirety of the healthcare reform. So this is just one sliver of it. So he's starting to say, look, I understand that it ain't going to happen the way I wanted it to. Maybe that was the plan the whole time along. Start off with your best case scenario and settle for somewhere in the middle. Wall Street digs it, and the dollar's rallying today, because maybe it's a sign that future deficits won't swell out of control. Now, speaking about swelling out of control, and no, get your mind out of the gutter, people. Uh, Bill, 
Not Kill Bill, but Hurricane Bill. Hurricane Bill could become a major hurricane by Wednesday. It's continuing to move in that west-northwesterly direction. The hurricane center was last located about 1,000 miles outside the east of uh, the Lesser Antilles. The hurricane's maximum sustained winds would have increased about 90 miles per hour and strengthening in the forecast in the next 48 hours. Tropical depression, Anna, is moving through the northeastern Caribbean and could dissipate later today. First tropical activity of the season has failed to blunt the selling in oil and gas. So today, oil and gas is lower, even though we're talking about hurricanes. Typically, when you talk about hurricanes, people go, ooh, that's not good. Uh, the Gulf of Mexico has got all these big oil platforms out there, and a hurricane can kind of, how shall we say, ruin them, supplant them, shut them down for a few months. A hurricane could blow into the Texas panhandle and take out some of our nation's refineries. So typically when you talk hurricanes, gas, natural gas moves higher. But the problem is we got over 3 trillion cubic feet of storage right now of natural gas in the United States. So our demand is okay. Our supply is huge. Even if we get a worst-case hurricane scenario, we still got plenty of it in the in the in the kitty, so to speak. So that's the basic launch of the show. Let me open up the phone calls: eight hundred three four five five six three nine to get your calls in the air. It's eight hundred three four five five six three nine. It's the Rob Black Show. Live blog will be up and going in just a minute. Nine ten kennyw dot com. Nine ten kennyw dot com. We're going to put up a poll question on Friday. I'm going to do a theme show. What do you want me to do? Do you want me to do a a show on kids and investing? Do you want me to do a show on Investing resources and sites and tools that you can use to get better. Do you want me to do a show on sports and money? Or do you want me to do a show on the worst investments of all time? Because that would be pretty funny. So go to the 910kenew.com page. Vote here. Vote now. Hit me with your phone calls. 800-345-5639. It's 800-345-5639. It's Rob Black Show. I'm Rob Black. Black is watching your wallet live and local. Call 1-800-345-KNEW. It's Rob Black Show. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial. Coming up, I'm going to be interviewing Victor Cheng, prospering in a recession, speaking tonight at the Commonwealth Club, former McKinsey consultant, recession-proofing businesses. You get the basic idea. I could use some phone calls. Monday is always light on the phone calls. 800-345-5639. It's 800-345-5639. Get your calls on the show. Don't be shy, people. Um, So I think I gave you a pretty good market recap to start things off. There's some other interesting stories that are out there today. And, um, you know, definitively stock market oriented. None of them are jumping out and making me like, oh, I got to change my life. New York factories expanding in the month of August. That's a positive. There's no doubt about it. Uh, first positive reading since April of 2008, the highest since November of 2007. Any reading over zero means most firms said business was improving compared with the prior month. Two key components of this manufacturing report that came out today, new orders and shipments. They rose to their highest level for new orders and shipments in more than a year. Now, the tech sector is getting hit pretty hard today. NASDAQ is losing 2%. But names like Amazon, Yahoo, eBay, Google, they're down about 3% um, today. So they're down more so than the overall NASDAQ is. Retail stocks are hit because Lowe's. Lowe's says, hey, second half forecast fell short of Wall Street expectations. So the consumer's not exactly roaring in their eyeballs, according to the eyeballs of Lowe's. Now, again, they reported numbers today. Tomorrow we get Home Depot. And maybe we get a little bit 
twist on the color there, so to speak. Capital One Financial said today that uh, their charge-off rate in the United States credit card business is about 9.8%, up from July's 9.7%. The company said 30-day delinquencies rose to about 4.8% from 4.7%. So borrowers are struggling to keep up with their payments in the recession. And again, you get a little bit more proof than pudding when you see... um, Japan come out and say exports, just they're not really sending them out. A German firm inked a $3 billion U.S. solar pack today. So far, it's been pretty tough to make money in solar investments. We want them. We understand them. Hey, sunshine better than oil, right? Uh, but so far, it's been pretty tough to make a, a dollar in this. Now, a German thermal solar specialist, Solar Millennium, not publicly traded, and a German construction and engineering firm said they've uh, joined a, a a joint venture together. They're going to build three utility-scale plants in southwestern United States for $3 billion. Each plant's going to produce enough energy to power about 80,000 homes, about 240,000 homes for a $3 billion joint venture investment. 800-345-5639 to get your calls in there. Let's go to George in Fremont. George? Hey, how you doing, Rob? Doing good. Love your show, a TV show. Uh, turn my kids on to them. They're in their 20s, so hopefully they do something with it. Good, thanks. Uh, I had a question. I, I know all this talk goes around about, uh, you know, houses being upside down, and, and I'm the, I'm in that position now, but I can afford the monthly payment even if it increases quite a bit. Uh, I feel like I'm being an idiot just by staying in the house, even though it's upside down. I mean, I like the home, and, I mean, I, I, I know there's not going to be a recovery. I, I might break even in 10 years, I guess, but uh, is that just a dumb thing to do? Uh, should I just walk away or, or try to... Obviously, the banks won't even talk to you because I'm never late and I can afford it. So, uh, you know, you just feel like an idiot, like everybody's walking away from this at a time where... Well, how much of your paycheck is it, actually? Are you over 40% or under 40%? Under 40%. Okay, so yeah, you don't need a modification. The home value is upside down. Where's the home located? It's in San Jose. Okay, good part of San Jose? Well, it's middle to average. You know, mine's the cheapest house, and the house next to me sold uh, about a month ago for eight hundred thousand. Okay. So, uh, I mean, it's okay. It's okay. I've been there for twenty something years. You okay. know, so it's a matter of uh, you know, do I just stay there and consider it? Hey, this is my home. How are you? Up, how are you upside down? Have you been in the home for twenty years? Well, I'm kind of the money maker of the whole family, so pulling out loans to help my mother and my sisters and all that good stuff. So it's like. I'm the godfather of the family. <laughs> well, hopefully there's a heaven because you'll get into it for that. But uh, financially speaking, not the best thing to do to create a security safety net blanket for yourself, so to speak. Um, how upside down do you think you are on the home? I think, well, let's see. The house is probably worth about 550 I owe like 620 Yeah. I, so it's, I, pretty, it's close. You know, there's an article in today's Wall Street Journal, and I bring this up not to discourage you, but the national nightmare of real estate price is not going to be over. And a lot of people who think, you know, just because we're only down 1% month over month, when we get to those numbers, it's not like real estate's going to start going up 5 10% again. Uh, one of the th- reasons that real estate is starting to put in signs of a bottom is it's artificial. We're giving massive tax credits for it. Uh, we've got it. It's artificial because our mortgage rates are incredibly low due to manipulation by the United States government. Um, albeit manipulation is a dirty word, but it's it's helping a lot of people. A couple right. years from now, George, mortgage rates going to be higher, and to afford an eight hundred thousand dollar home, it's going to take a much bigger salary to get into that home, so to speak, than it is today. 
I don't see wages inflating a lot in the United States for quite a while. Um, some wages, yes, and that's the nice thing is you're in a great city. You are in a great city in the United States. San Jose is a poor man, San Francisco, but in a lot of ways, they're better than San Francisco. Um, in some ways, they're not as good as San Francisco, but there's a lot of great jobs. You've got a great mayor in San Jose. Republicans love him. Democrats love him. It's tough to figure out if he's a Republican or a Democrat. He's just pro-business, and he brings a lot of jobs into the area. So you got some things going for you. I don't think you're in the, you're not going to be able to short sell it. Um, right. You know, right. You, I don't think you—you you could short sell it if you wanted to and wait for real estate prices to come lower, but— if you could afford that monthly nut, I'd, I'd stick with it. And in 10, 15, 20 years, you'll be more than break even. You may not be wildly ahead, but I think you'll be ahead. But again, the golden days of real estate, I think, especially for high-end markets um, and high-end homes, I think are over. Um, thanks for the call. 800-345-5639 to get your calls on the air. Let's take a quick break here. When we come back, Victor Chang is going to discuss in prospering in a recession. He's going to be speaking tonight later at the Commonwealth Club. Victor Chang, former McKinsey consultant. He's an author of the recession-proof business. Take a break here. We'll be right back on The Rob Black Show. This is Rob Black on Talk 910, KNEW. Rob Black Show. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial. Joining me now, Victor Cheng. He's a author of book, Prospering in a Recession. Got a little bit more title to it. He's speaking tonight at the Commonwealth Club. You can find out more information at commonwealth.org, commonwealth.org. Mr. Cheng, how are you? I'm great, Rob. How are you? Good. Now, you're a former McKinsey consultant. Tell us what a McKinsey consultant is. Uh, McKinsey is a consulting firm that advises probably three out of four Fortune 500 CEOs around the world. And when Fortune 500 CEOs don't know what to do, they call McKinsey guys. And I was used to be one of them a couple years back. Now, you've written a book, and congratulations on that. Thank you. Not a lot of money in writing books, though, is there? No, not not really. <laughs> and aren't you doing something like giving away a million free copies? I am, actually. I'm giving away one million copies of my book, The Recession-Proof Business. Does your publisher hate you? No, no, not at all. I mean, uh, you know, my, my deal is to get a really important message out, and, and I was sort of willing to sacrifice my profits on the book um, to really help out. Uh, smaller businesses, the average person on the street, to really deal with this recession, because it really is very unprecedented. Okay, let's talk a little bit about that. And uh, you can get copies of the free book at bailoutusa.com, bailoutusa.com. You said unprecedented recession. Um, Is that necessarily a horrible thing, or is it a fact of life? Well, I think it's just a reality. You know, when the the fundamentals leading up to the recession were unprecedented borrowing by the average American consumer, American businesses, and the American government, uh, and, and uh, unprecedented spending that has suddenly collapsed. The, the impact of that is going to be equally unprecedented, and that's really what's going on right now. Now, a lot of what you do is talk to businesses. So in theory, you're talking to a lot of entrepreneurs because the IBMs, they've lived through recessions. Sure. What are the mistakes the entrepreneurs are making with this recession? Well, I think the big thing they tend to overemphasize and focus on is what's wrong with the recession rather than what's still right. Uh, the companies that survive through in and out of recessions of every single type are the ones who still focus on what's 
still working and what the opportunities are in a recession. I'll give you a quick example. So look at McDonald's. You know, they are doing extremely well, relatively speaking, in the recession, uh, faring far better than their competitors. And their big initiative uh, in this recession is to basically put Starbucks out of business. Right? They started their McCafe, and they are not, like, hunkering down at all. They are totally going for the jugular and being extremely aggressive. And that mentality is, I think, what a lot of small business owners uh, tend not to have. They tend to hide rather than go aggressively after some opportunity. Now, what's actually interesting about McDonald's is they're doing a lot of things that – is this what you should do as an entrepreneur? Should you throw a lot of things at the wall? Because they're also doing a lot more on the dollar menu, but they're also introducing a premium hamburger in time of a recession. That seems almost counterintuitive. Well, I think on the premium hamburger, there's tons of factual evidence that all their competitors are making the superior margins on the premium end product. So they've been trying to make that product work for years. Uh, I think a big part of what they do right is trying new things. Um, but the big challenge for any kind of business owner in this recession is that things have changed a lot, and it's not always obvious how things have changed. I'll give you one example in the in the U.S. auto industry. So everyone knows that the auto, the big three automakers are suffering, uh, and new car sales are down. But people don't realize that the number of drivers on the road really hasn't changed. Uh, the number of people who need to drive hasn't changed. And if you look at where the money is being spent in automotive, it's going into uh, auto repair, which is having a nice little renaissance right now. It's going into used car sales. So those two sectors within the auto industry are actually doing well, but no one realizes that, and they don't pay attention to that. There's always opportunity in any market environment, and, and the trick is to be looking for it and trying new things to try to capture that. Speaking with Victor Ching, Prospering in a Recession is his book. You can get a free copy at bailoutusa.com. He's speaking tonight at the Commonwealth Club. You can get tickets at commonwealthclub.org. Victor, um, I once read a book by a guy, I believe his name was James Moore, called um, Death of Competition. And he basically analyzed businesses in an ecological way. And uh, he kind of said, you know, here's your leaders. Your Intel is the king of the jungle. Your Microsoft is another king of the jungle. And the whole ecosystem beneath can survive or die. And uh, during recessions, you can do this. And during, you know, uh, depressions, this might happen. How do you look at the business world? Is the ecological Darwinian mode good idea, bad idea? How do you, what do you see? Yeah, actually, it's interesting. I actually met somebody who uh, was from Ecuador, uh, which is uh, the home country of the Galapagos Islands, where uh, Darwin actually did all his research. And, and she made a really interesting observation uh, when she was hearing one of my, my speeches. She said, you know, Darwin says it's not the strong that survive, it's the ones that adapt that survive. And uh, I think that's very true in this environment. In an economy that has been shrinking, uh, there are fewer dollars going around, for sure. Uh, the ones that make it are the ones who are flexible and uh, can adapt to the new opportunities that emerge. Uh, and the ones who hold rigid to their old ways of doing things that perhaps are no longer working, those are the ones who ultimately suffer. So the, the key to survival in, in this recession is to adapt or, or risk dying. Victor, I make pretty dumb statements on the radio all the time. I'm a former Wall Street analyst, and one of the things that I tend to say is that recessions are good things because they curb excesses. Um, did we really need 120 dot com companies? No, we only needed three. And living in this area, Victor, it was crazy because 22 year old kids would come out of college making six figures. I remember, I remember the time period absolutely. Are recessions good or? I think so. I, I prefer it actually because I, I was in the dot com boom. If you want to refer back to uh, the last boom that was fairly prominent, and it was very frustrating because you could do all the right, sensible, common sense things, and they wouldn't work. 
right? Like take care of your customers, you know, provide value, and all sort of the basics of business because there's all this sort of artificial money going around, sort of distorting sort of marketplace reality. And now the only way to survive, the only way to do well, is to know your customers really well. You know, uh, you know, just crush your competitors in terms of delivering a better product or service. Being much more aggressive in getting out there, marketing yourself as a as a professional or as a business owner. And and the people who are smart, the people who are daft, the people who are skilled, the people who do a better job, are the ones who prosper. And I think it's incredibly fair. So I actually like it and prefer it. And it does kind of cut out a lot of the riffraff that unfortunately has snuck in there in some of the boom times. Good point. Good point. Now, as an author and as a speaker and as talking business, you've had to do a lot of work on recessions. What are some of the interesting things that you're uncovering about this recession compared to others? Well, I think uh, just to put it in context, in my in my book, the research I did for my book, I analyzed the past 12 U.S. recessions going back about 136 years or so. And what's interesting about this recession is I think it's the severity, you know, um, in every recession, there are always changes, but sometimes if the changes are relatively modest uh, and minor and, and short-term in nature, you, know, you can get away with being sloppy, not making the hard decisions, and you, know, you might actually be okay. I think the severity of this particular recession has, uh, is requiring really dramatic changes in how you manage your, your career, for example, your own business, and that's posing, I think, a bit of a mental shock, if you would, uh, to a lot of people who you know, in their entire lifetime, they have not really had to do anything this severe to respond to a crisis this large. Now, we've seen recessions before, and we've seen economic cycles before. How different is this one for where we come out of? Um, and let me try to throw some perspective on this. Uh, this one, we've come out of a real estate bubble, and we've come out of a dot-com bubble. And a lot of the jobs that came out of the dot-com bubble were real estate jobs in the state of California. Mm-hmm. And now we've got just this crazy government stimulus that we've never seen in the United States. Well, not since World War II. Um, when we come out of this, what are we going to look like as a nation? You know, that's extremely unclear. Um, and, and I'll tell you why. The, the long-term drivers of our economy, um, namely government, uh, government business and consumer uh, borrowing, and spending uh, is really has not changed much. If you look at the percentage of our government of our, our country's um, uh, debt levels, right now our debt levels at the start of this recession were almost twice as high as we what we had at the start of the Great Depression. You know, so we are a time of borrowing that is completely unprecedented in the history of the United States, and that was before this recession started and people started saving and stuff. And so what we're going to find is that really hasn't changed. You know, we haven't paid down half of our mortgages. We haven't paid down half of our credit cards. We haven't paid down half of our corporate and government debt. So what's an interesting phenomenon is happening. Uh, the debt problem, which is a long-term driver of the health of our economy, really hasn't changed that much. And in a lot of ways, it's actually gotten worse. We're borrowing more money for the stimulus, and our national income has actually shrunk. And... Uh, when you look at where the economy will be in the next year or two, uh, I think it's entirely likely that we will have what I call a technical recovery, uh, which is GDP grows, and some economist somewhere says, hey, recession's over, never mind, you know, one out of ten of your neighbors is still unemployed. Um, so we have this sort of weird short-term versus long-term uh, situation conflict going on. And I think when we exit this recession, uh, most likely we'll have a fairly flat recovery, so we won't have this, you know, uh, switch back to the boom boom days. Um, I think unemployment will rem- remain fairly high for quite some time. 
Uh, I think that with all this borrowing for stimulus going on, there's a likely chance we'll have inflation, even hyperinflation. And it's possible if we don't continue the stimulus going, um, it's entirely possible we'll have a back-to-back recession, uh, which has happened a couple times in history. And people should be aware of that. It's a distinct possibility this time as well. Mark kind of freaked out this morning, Victor, when Japan said that exports are dropping and we're consumers of Japanese exports. Delta came out today and said if passengers don't return to the skies and fares don't rise, some airlines could run low of cash. And people are trading down on their flights. They're trading cheaper fares. They're, uh, you know, focusing more on their own income. They're putting off purchases until the last second. And the Delta CEO said today there might be a new normal down the road that we haven't recognized. Um, Do you think the consumers will say no more debt and do a little bit more savings and still spend? But do you think we're going to go to a new normal? Have we come off the the go-go days? I sure hope so. Certainly uh, for the long-term health of our economy and, and the economy for, for my kids when they grow up, uh, I hope we're at a new normal. Um, and if you look at the long-term historical average of the S&P and the U.S. stock prices, you take the 100-year average and you map out where stock prices really should be uh, if you follow the 100-year trend. And stock prices right now are exactly where they should be, right? And if you look at what is normal, you know, today is normal by historical standards. The last 10, 15 years was abnormal, right? That should have never really happened. It was driven artificially um, by a lot of the artificial money by the U.S. government, much as like you mentioned in your, your earlier segment. So I think very much we are in a new normal, and that is probably the big mindset shift that I think the average American uh, entrepreneur, business owner, uh, career professional is not really recognizing and appreciating. This is the new normal. If somebody is sitting there waiting for the old boom-boom days to return and are just sort of waiting things out, I think that's a big mistake. You've got to learn how to make it work for yourself, uh, for your businesses, for your career in this new environment because it's some, this kind of environment is here to stay for quite some time. Victor, I'm going to keep you for one more segment, sure. but I have to put you through uh, three minutes of horrendous commercials. He's going to be speaking tonight at the Commonwealth Club. You can get tickets at commonwealthclub.org. His book is Prospering in a Recession, bailoutusa.com, bailoutusa.com. Smart guy. McKinsey Consultants, they understand business landscapes. Gives us great color on it. We'll talk about recession-proof businesses, who's prospering now, who's struggling. We'll be back in just a moment on The Rob Black Show. I've been roaming around, always looking down at all I see. Painted faces, build the faces I can reach. You know that I can use somebody. You know that I can use somebody. Common sense. This is Talk 910 KNEW. This is Rob Black. Sometimes I was just looking at my email and got an email from a person who bought a home as an investment property. And him and his buddy were going to put friends in it to rent $2,500 a month mortgage. The renter's only covering $1,500. He wants to try to modify this loan. It's not going to happen. But more importantly, his business partner, a.k.a. his friend, has said, I'm out. Oddly enough, there was no contract between the two people, and the friend wasn't on the loan either. So the friend just says, screw you, friend. I don't have to come to your house for uh, picnics or barbecues ever, never, ever again. Um, That friendship's over. The guy's losing $1,000 a month on a mortgage. 
you've got to get out of that. That is no way to live. That is no way to prosper. That is no business plan. And you shouldn't ever, never, ever consider getting into the business of real estate investments ever again because you stink at it. Um, we're speaking today with Victor Ching, uh, author of Prospering in a Recession, BailoutUSA.com. He's speaking tonight at the Commonwealth Club. You can find tickets at CommonwealthClub.org. Victor, how often do you see stories like the one I just threw out from an email? You know, unfortunately, I see them all the time. And and it's really when you have such a severe recession that, um, you know, not to be offensive, but, you know, stupid, sloppy things sort of get exposed and you get penalized. And, and the penalty is quite stiff. And so you're seeing a lot of that going on, and, and unfortunately, it is happening. Now, I gave advice for them to never, ever, ever get into real estate again. Uh, I just think the stupid sloppy was people rushed into it without studying it. Like you said, it, it's more so maybe he can get back into it, but he almost has to see a cycle or two before he gets back into it. Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, just leaping in and uh, whether it's a real estate business, frankly, any other kind of business, right. not, not being prepared, not doing your homework, you know, what do customers want, how, how does the business operate from a financial standpoint, can you make it work on paper before you make it work in person? You know, those are all fundamental things that, you know, entrepreneurs of many generations ago, they all did that, right? They had to know their stuff cold because the market was incredibly unforgiving and punishing. And when we've had a lot of easy money, unfortunately, a lot of sloppy things were allowed to occur, and all that's getting ripped out uh, sort of in a heartbeat, and it's unfortunately quite painful. Something I like about your book is you give a lot of examples that we know, examples like FedEx and Disney and Schwab and Domino's and UPS, and you highlighted what they did well as small businesses that ultimately led them to become industry giants. I love case studies. What did these companies do so right, in your opinion? Well, there's a couple of things. All those companies, we all know them as very big companies, but when I studied them, they were all two, three, four, five, ten person businesses. So very small, very local businesses. And, and there were three, three things they did really well. Uh, one was they took advantage of a prevailing trend uh, in terms of where the spending was shifting in a down market. Uh, they were all very different. That was the second thing they did well. And the third thing they did well was they were very aggressive in marketing. You know, when you are following a prevailing trend, uh, you are doing things differently than your competitors, making yourself very unique, and you're getting the word out, uh, it becomes very easy to, to prosper. And, and I think the best example is, is Costco. Uh, Costco, uh, the original company was called Price Club, started in the midst of uh, a severe recession, and their whole model around retail was radically different. Uh, people who, had, you know, who were accustomed to low prices were shocked at how low prices were. They were equally shocked at how much stuff you had to buy in exchange for the low prices. And they were very aggressive in using word-of-mouth marketing. I mean, they did $70 billion in sales last year. And they do virtually no advertising because of the strong word-of-mouth presence that uh, customers like myself are so aggressive in, in telling people about what they do that they've never really had to. Uh, so those are sort of the, the key three things. You know, follow a trend, be different, and be aggressive in your outreach. Uh, and those were what all those companies did extremely well. One of the things, I worked at Domino's Pizza when I was in college, and, you know, it was a great, flexible job for me. But one of the things that I learned was that Tom Monahan, who started Domino's, was he was just customers always right, and they wanted a hot pizza. Not necessarily in 30 minutes or less, but that 30 minutes or less was the thing that got them differentiated from their customers. And their pizzas, every single one of them tasted the same, whether it was in Virginia, in California, in Maine, or Texas. So we want consistency, hot, fresh and then that 30-minute tag kind of came out of his consistency and his hot and fresh concept. Absolutely. I think the, uh, 
I look back in the history of Domino's, the first decade was all about hot and fresh. Uh, and then the second, third decade is when that marketing slogan came about, and they were very aggressive in marketing the 30 minutes or less or the pizza's free. And it was really the combination of those two. You know, the first decade, they got the operations down in terms of how to get a hot pizza to the door quickly. Uh, and then the second decade, they actually told people about it. And it was a combination of two that really sort of skyrocketed them and allowed Tom Monaghan to sell the business for, I think, about a billion dollars in the, in the late 80s. And uh, Detroit Tigers, he used to own part of the Detroit Tigers, and it used to upset me because I was a Yankees fan. And every time I'd buy a Domino's pizza, I supported the Detroit Tigers. Uh, <laughs> Ouch. Ouch, exactly. Uh, one more thing that I want to throw out about Domino's, it was, um, it was kind of about consistency and the customer's always right. Is it smart to build a business on the customer's always right? Well, I, I think you have to have some sort of philosophy around how you want to deal with customers. Uh, I think the customer's always right can certainly work. I know of businesses that, you know, they just have their standard policy, right? Like at Costco, you know, you don't even get to talk to a person, right? Um, businesses that succeed online, uh, like Amazon, there's no real customer service. Um, so I think your philosophy just needs to sort of be deliberate. Uh, and more importantly, people, you need to convey those expectations to the world um, and let customers choose from themselves. And if it's a good deal, they'll come. If it's a lousy deal, they'll take their wallets and go elsewhere. And selling a $10 pizza for it that costs you a buck to make, not a bad business either. Sure, not at all. Let's go to Todd in San Francisco. Todd, what's your question? Hey, Rob. How you doing today? Good, good. Doing good. Uh, I got a, a small business that's going to fail, and I'm just trying to figure out what's the least painful, long-term, negative consequence way of getting out of it. Victor, what, what advice do you have on shutting down a business? Well, if, if you know it's going to fail and it's not going to work out, the, the big rule of thumb is to get it over with as fast as you possibly can. Uh, so if you know it's not going to work, there's no point in trying to drag things out uh, for as long as possible, sort of in hopes that something magical might happen. And in that case, what you're trying to do is you want to cut down your staff, if you have it, uh, as soon as possible. It's an unfortunate exercise, but unfortunately it needs to be done. If you have long-term obligations like leases and whatnot, uh, try to renegotiate them, get out of them, pay penalty to get out of them, sublet them. Whatever you need to do to sort of uh, reel back and ratchet down your financial exposure as soon as possible is, is vitally important. And the idea and sort of framework I always tell people is, listen, you're an entrepreneur. Uh, you're an entrepreneur for life. Your goal is to win the, you know, is to win the war. Uh, and unfortunately, this battle isn't going to happen for you. So get it over with and so move on so you have conserved resources so you can move on to the next battle. Thank you very much for joining us, Victor. Victor Ching, author of Prospering in a Recession. You can get a free copy at bailoutusa.com, bailoutusa.com. Clearly smart guy, McKinsey consultant, former McKinsey consultant. He's speaking tonight at the Commonwealth Club. You can get ticks at commonwealthclub.org, commonwealthclub.org. And uh, I think he just gave us a good 30 minutes of banter that you should probably go listen to again, 910kenew.com, 910kenew.com. It'll be up on our podcast later. That was Victor Ching, Prospering in a Recession. One last time, free book at bailoutusa.com. Com and tickets for tonight's speech at commonwealthclub.org. Rob Black, weekday mornings from 10 to noon. On Talk 910 KNEW. 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.